Old powers waken, shadows stir. An age of wonder and terror will soon be upon us. An age for gods and heroes. The glass candles are burning, and you're listening to the Obsidian Knights Podcast. Last week, we were in Winterfell as Catelyn Stark convinced Ned Stark to walk right into the lion's den and also send Jon Snow to the wall. And we are still in Winterfell. We're still in Winterfell. It's Winterfell time. But this week, we are in the mind of Arya Stark. And baby, this is a place I like to be. I like to be in the mind of Arya Stark. Arya Stark is one of my favorite characters in A Song of Ice and Fire. And her chapters, her chapters, especially in Feast and Dance, like her, those chapters are amazing. The stuff of dreams. Like, the way Bravos is just fully fleshed out, like, it feels like a place you can actually go to. So in this chapter, it opens up with Arya in her lady classes. She's stitching and she's doing a bit of needlework with Septa Mordain. So Septa Mordain is leading the class, but there are other ladies there with them. So first of all, Princess Marcella is there. And this is considered an honor for Septa Mordain to be able to teach a princess um, stitching. So also in the class is Sansa and Jean Poole and Beth Cassell. So before we jump right into dissecting and breaking this shit apart, Jean Poole is an important and reoccurring character throughout all of the books. So if you haven't read the books and you only watch the show, a part of season five, Sansa's whole rapey scene, that actually never happens in the book and it actually does happen, a version of it does happen to Jean Poole or Jane Poole. How do you say it? Jane or Jean? Let's say Jane Poole. J-E-Y-N-E. Jane. Jean. Jane. So Jane Poole is Van Poole's daughter. Van Poole is Eddard Stark's steward, like his head of household type person. So Sansa Stark and Jane Poole are best friends. They are like the mean girls of Winterfell, the Regina George and like her sidekick. This is our first in-depth look at Arya, but also Sansa. So before we get into this chapter, I just want to say people... They relate to characters and they don't relate to characters for many different reasons. They like characters and they don't like characters for many different reasons. Sometimes they have personal life experiences. Sometimes it's just preference. So it's like a very personal thing of who you like and who you don't like. Now that that's clear, so I got bad vibes from Sansa in this chapter straight off the bat. I've met a lot of girls like Chapter 8 Sansa and I never liked them much. So sorry. Like, sorry I have a low opinion on Sansa. Sansa does get better later though. She does get better later. And I don't want to spend like a copious amount of time dragging Sansa. And one of the challenges that I have given myself for this reread project is 
to be more open to Sansa because book Sansa and show Sansa are two different people. In this chapter, George R.R. Martin is setting up the dynamic between the two Stark sisters, the dynamic between Ned Stark's two daughters. And Chloe and Eliana, I had them on one of the Overwatched episodes, and they had talked about how Sansa represents the things that Ned Stark doesn't like, like the southern things, and, and Arya represents the northern things, the things that he can relate to, and that's why Ned and Arya have this really good relationship while Sansa and Ned don't. George R.R. R. Martin literally set Sansa and Arya up in this chapter as night and day, literally polar opposites as opposite as Visenya and Rainey's and I think all of it is by design so Arya is stitching she hates it she sucks at it but Sansa doesn't Sansa's good at everything Sansa does exquisite needlework and Septimordain describes Sansa's work as as pretty as she is and she has fine and delicate hands but when it comes to Arya her hands aren't fine and delicate. Septim Mordain says that Arya has the hands of a blacksmith. Now, this Arya having hands of a blacksmith has been a quote that lots of people have raised questions about. One blacksmith we know that comes into Arya's life is Gendry. A lot of people ship Arya and Gendry together before Game of Thrones did their thing. So Arya having Gendry's hand, having his hand, blacksmith hands, could be a hint at marriage. There is also some that think the quote could be related to the forging of a light bringer, but I'm leaning way into this has something to do with Gendry. So Sansa, Jean, and Beth are sitting around giggling. So Beth Cassell is Sir Roderick Cassell's daughter. And Arya's all like, you know, well, what are you guys talking about? They giggle some more and they finally tell her what they're talking about, which is Joffrey. They're just doing like that little girl talk about Joffrey marrying Sansa and Sansa being queen. And Sansa asks Arya what she thinks of Joffrey. And Arya says, well, you know, John says he looks like a girl. Sansa sighed as she stitched. Poor John, she said. He gets jealous because he's a bastard. He's our brother, Arya said much too loudly. Sansa corrects Arya. He's our half-brother. Septim Mordain gets involved. She wants to know what the hell is going on, what they are talking about. And Sansa, cunning little devil, diffuses the situation and lies and says that her and Arya were just talking about how pleased they are with the princess being with them today. But Arya's stitches suck. She's upset and she runs away in tears. Clearly, Arya isn't a vanilla girl. She isn't what Westeros society would consider normal or what she's supposed to be. She isn't the typical woman of Westeros. She doesn't fit in with her sister or her sister's friends. And she has a ton of resentment towards Sansa. It wasn't fair. Sansa had everything. Sansa was two years older. Maybe by the time Arya had been born, there had been nothing left. Often it felt that way. 
Sansa could sew and dance and sing. She wrote poetry. She knew how to dress. She played the high harp and the bells. Worse, she was beautiful. Sansa had gotten their mother's fine high cheekbones and the thick auburn hair of the Tullys. Arya took after their lord father. Her hair was lusterless brown and her face was long and solemn. So George is doing a few things here. And I want to talk about it quickly. So, of course, he's setting up that Sansa and Arya don't get along. They are polar opposites. Like, that's a given. But he's also setting up, like, the way that um, Sansa refers to Jon as her half-brother. And he's a bastard and he's jealous. If you paid attention in the previous chapter, you can see that Sansa is clearly her mother's daughter. And Arya is clearly her father's daughter. And I would also say that the way that Sansa is able to lie and deflect about what they're talking about and tell Septimore Day, you know, we're just talking about how happy and pleased we are that Sep- that Marcella is here when they're actually we're just arguing about John. It it shows that like people give don't give Sansa enough credit. They are quick to say, like, Sansa is stupid. Like, she has no idea what she's doing. She doesn't have the ability to be cunning. She doesn't have the ability to be smart. She's just a foolish girl. But this chapter shows that she's not really stupid and she's not really foolish. I also think this chapter, this chapter where they're setting it up that Arya looks like a Stark. He's doing some Stark seed planting, some RLJ gardening because Arya looks like Liana and Arya looks like John. It's things that you read that come together later. So Arya is just like having a shit day. She feels inferior. She feels embarrassed and she's crying. So she runs off. So Arya's first chapter in a Game of Thrones has her literally running off to hide from people, which is basically her story in a severely watered down nutshell. Like this girl is a runner. She's going to run. But Nymeria is waiting for Arya at the bottom of the steps. And Nymeria and Arya is something else that I really want to talk about for a minute. Now, I'm a huge fan of the direwolves. I love the direwolves. And the direwolves are very important to the Starks and their stories. Like, I can't say this enough. I'm going to say it every time I can. The direwolves are not just accessories. The direwolves are as important to the Starks stories as the dragons are to Daenerys's story. Everything from their names to their colorings, it's all done by design. And Nymeria and Arya have this really close bond. The wolf pup loved her even if no one else did. They went everywhere together and Nymeria slept in her room at the foot of her bed. Arya seems to have a stronger bond with Nymeria than any of her siblings have with their wolves. It could be the wolf bond is stronger or it could be that Arya is just a more powerful warg and the warg bond is stronger because we learn in A Feast for Crows that Arya can warg Nymeria in the Riverlands while Arya is in Braavos. Arya is the only one of her siblings that is able to do this. Like, Bran can lose Summer and John and can't find him. And John can lose Ghost and can't find him. But Arya can warg Nymeria while she's on another continent. 
Arya named Nymeria after a warrior princess, the warrior princess Nymeria of the Roin. So Nymeria and her 10,000 ships. So I think this is something of note, right? Because A Storm of Swords, we learn about the wolf pack in the Riverlands. And George has went on record to say that he does plan to use the wolf pack. He said, you don't hang a giant wolf pack on the wall unless you intend to use it. So I do think in the winds of winter, we will be seeing this wolf pack. I would just die if in winds of winter, Nymeria leads a wolf pack of 10,000 to fight the others. I mean, one can dream. One can dream. Like, I, I, I just know that there are importance and deeper meanings in the names of these wolves. And if you can figure out that puzzle, let me know. So Arya decides to go see the boys practicing. They're in the yard in front of the armory and they're practicing with like blunted swords or wooden sticks or whatever. So Jon Snow is already there at this window on the bridge in Winterfell and he's already watching them down below with ghosts. John and Arya are in an area similar to where Littlefinger and Sansa are standing when they watch Brienne and Arya in the show. It's like a, an area that looks like that, but it's like a window ledge that they're sitting on. So John is there with ghosts. Arya climbs up on the window and sits with John. In the yard, Bran is fighting Tommen. They are playing at swords or practicing while Sir Roderick Cassell looks on. So Rob and Theon are down there. They're all looking on. There's a bunch of Lannister soldiers. The Hound is down there. So Tommen and Bran are just like covered in padding, hitting each other with sticks. So we get a good look at the relationship between Arya and Jon. And I think that's one of the most important parts of this chapter. John grinned, reached over, and messed up her hair. Arya flushed. They had always been close. John had their father's face, as she did. They were the only ones. Rob and Sansa and Bran and even little Rickon all took after the Tullys, with easy smiles and fire in their hair. When Arya had been little, she had been afraid that meant that she was a bastard, too. It had been John she had gone to in her fear, and John who had reassured her. Why aren't you down in the yard? Arya asked him. He gave her half a smile. Bastards are not allowed to damage young princes, he said. Any bruises they take in practice yard must come from true-born swords. Oh, Arya felt abashed. She should have realized. For the second time today, Arya reflected that life was not there. John... And Arya's relationship, uh, I just love it. They are so close and they have a lot in common. So John can't do all the things that he wants to do because he's a bastard. And that's not fair in Arya's eyes. And Arya can't do all the things that she wants to do because she's a girl. So they both have this outlook on the world around them as not being fair. They both have what I would call fair grievances about life. They both are the misfits or outcasts of the family. They have a lot of things in common that just make their bond natural. They are surrounded by like beautiful looking Tully siblings and they have the solemn plain look of Starks. And there are no more truer Starks than John and Arya in this story. I mean, Starks to the bone. That's John and Arya. 
So Arya and John are watching them fight in the yard and they look at Joffrey and John makes note of Joffrey's coat of arms because John is an observant little princeling. An ornate shield had been embroidered on the prince's padded surcoat. No doubt the needlework was exquisite. The arms were divided down the middle. On one side was the crown stag of the royal house. On the other, the lion of Lannister. The Lannisters are proud, John observed. You'd think the royal sigil would be sufficient, but no, he makes his mother's house equal in honor to the king's. The woman is important too, Arya protested. So yes, John is an observant little shit. And his observation is accurate. It's the 99th clue over the span of eight chapters that the Lannisters are above themselves. Catelyn touched on it in her first chapter. She told Ned like, the Lannister lady's pride keeps growing, babe. And having the Lannister lion next to the sigil of the crown stag, the sigil of the king, it's saying no one is above House Lannister, not even the king. But also it highlights and shows us how Arya feels about women being important and equal in a world that doesn't feel that way about women. She kind of knows that already, but not to the extent that she will learn it along her journey. So Bran ends up beating the hell out of Tom and he knocks him to the ground and he's victorious. Now, this has been debated about, like, is this foreshadowing? Because we know that after Joffrey's death, Tommen is king. And in the books right now, the most up-to-date chapter, Tommen is king. Tommen is currently alive in the books. So could this scene of Bran fighting Tommen and knocking him down be some kind of foreshadowing for King Bran and Bran knocking Tommen off his throne? I, I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that's foreshadowing? Because it could be because allegedly the King brand thing actually came from George, even though we don't know that 100%. But anyway, Sir Roderick is like, okay, Rob, Joffrey, are you going at it again? And Rob is happy to. He wants to. He's like, come on, little bitch. But Joffrey is bored with all of this. This is a game for children, Sir Roderick. Theon Greyjoy gave a sudden bark of laughter. You are children. Rob may be a child, Joffrey said. I am a prince, and I grow tired of swatting at Starks with a play sword. You got more swats than you gave, Joff, Rob said. Are you afraid? Prince Joffrey looked at him. Oh, terrified, he said. You're so much older. Some of the Lannister men laughed. John looked down on the scene with a frown. Joffrey is truly a little shit, he told Arya. Again, observant John, calling it like it is. Joffrey is a piece of shit. So after some back and forth and mockery, Rob ends up losing it on Joffrey, cussing him out, and like Theon has to restrain Rob to keep him off of Joffrey. It's subtle foreshadowing, but it surely highlights the differences between Rob and John. Rob is 100% a hothead, a Brandon Stark-esque character that will ride south and never return and the cup shall pass to John. Little Ned. The parallels in the foreshadowing Martin does is likely why it takes him so bloody long to write. 
But I definitely think that Rob Stark and Brandon Stark have some parallels and Ned and John have parallels and Brandon, Rob, Ned, John all parallel together. I know. It's a lot. And that's why there are a lot of theories about Brandon Stark actually being Rob Stark's son. And actually, Rob is the bastard of Winterfell. I mean, it's a it's a fun theory, but I I don't think so. But the foreshadowing is definitely there in this chapter. Now, this next line a lot of fans have theorized is foreshadowing of Arya's future. I'll read it for you. You had best run back to your room, little sister. Septa Mordain will surely be lurking. The longer you hide, the sterner the penance. You'll be sewing all through winter. When the spring thaw comes, they will find your body with a needle still locked tight between your frozen fingers. So many people think that it's foreshadowing that Arya will be killed by the others and they will find Arya with a sword needle frozen in her fingers. But others have said that it points to her future as a faceless man, her hiding and sewing and sewing meaning killing. And the longer that she stays away with the faceless men, the sterner her penance will be. And her penance will actually be herself, as in she's losing herself. So I personally don't think this particular line is foreshadowing of anything. I think it could be, but at the same time, I don't think Arya is going to die. I think her story from the very beginning has been about her knowing who she is and just learning to accept who she is. And I think her story has a lot to do with being a survivor and being unapologetically who she is. I did a video on Arya about the deeper meaning to her story and and who she is and the big overall arc that I think she's on and while I don't think it's necessarily the needle frozen in her fingers has is foreshadowing that she's gonna die maybe it means in a figurative way and not literally so Arya and John they talk more about the unfairness of life and they both agree that life isn't fair shocker you're gonna learn You think life isn't fair now. You're about to learn how unfair life is. You just wait. Life is, is, while, while Arya and John are sitting there saying life isn't fair, life is literally saying, hold my beer. But Arya and John end up going their separate ways and Septa Mordain is in her room waiting for her. But to Arya's surprise, she is not alone. Septa Mordain has her mother with her. Catelyn Stark. So I honestly think that Arya hiding and then returning to her room being surprised by her mother could be the way she returns to Westeros. I think that Arya will come face to face with Lady Stoneheart. I'm actually, I'm going to do a whole video on um, my Winds of Winter predictions. I need to start working on that, but I've been enjoying rereading these chapters and doing this podcast it's just a lot of fun to sink back into OG old school a song of ice and fire but what do you think about Arya one I think there isn't much interesting going on like on the surface there isn't much interesting things going on like there's not a lot 
happening. But when you look deeper, like into the parallels and the foreshadowing, it's a, it's a lot going on. It's a lot going on. There's a lot of exposition of what is and foreshadowing for what's to come. But the next chapter is brand two. And the story is about to pick up full speed and start to get bumpy. If you are listening to Obsidian Nights in podcast format and not on YouTube, then please leave me a review and let me know how I'm doing. But in any case, thanks for listening and I will see you next week with brand two. Have a good day.